Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Nuria Martinez-Keel. And I'm Dale Denwalt. You're listening to The Source. Dale will be the new co-host of the podcast as we discuss the Oklahomans' most impactful stories with the reporters who wrote them. Politicians from around the state are heading to the Oklahoma Capitol this week to convene the 2021 legislative session. Joining us is Capitol reporter Carmen Foreman. Carmen, thanks for coming on the podcast once again. Yeah, happy to be here. Carmen, there are literally thousands of proposed laws that need to be sorted through in the next few weeks. Most of those won't survive the committee process, but we know there are some really important political questions that must be answered. Things like how to fund Medicaid expansion, and lawmakers this year get to decide who and what you're allowed to vote for. Let's start with Medicaid expansion, since that's been a a prominent issue in state politics for years now. Oklahoma voters passed an amendment to the state constitution last year to expand Medicaid to cover more low-income residents of the state. In November, voters struck down a proposal to help fund Medicaid expansion with tobacco prevention funds. Now that voters said no to that, does that leave lawmakers back at square one to figure out how to fund Medicaid expansion? Where are they at in this process? Yeah, it's still early in the process, but I think they're going back to what they looked at last year, which is the uh, shop fee. Um, and that stands for, you know, Supplemental Hospital Offset Payment Program. So it's, it's, it's basically a fee levied on a lot of the hospitals in the state. And so they're looking at boosting the percentage of that fee. Right now it's at about 2.8%, and they would boost it up to 4% to bring in some extra money to help fund Medicaid expansion. Um, over time, the state will see some cost savings, like various state agencies will see cost savings from Medicaid expansion. But state lawmakers are anticipating that they probably need about $164 million up front to um, pay for the state's 10% share of the Medicaid expansion. And then if you remember, the federal government pays the the other 90%. Um, Lawmakers are also in the middle of redrawing maps for House, uh, Senate, and congressional districts based on the 2020 census. But what has to happen next for that process to be complete? Yeah, so again, very early in the process, the lawmakers have had a lot of public meetings um, to just sort of ask questions of the public and let the public say, you know, here's what we want to see, here's what we want to be considered in the new maps. Um, And the new maps will last for a decade, so it's, you know, (laughs) you want to make them good the first time around. Um, So the state won't actually get the census data until like spring, maybe March, maybe April at the latest. Um, And then from that, they can see where the population has shifted within the state, um, whether people have moved out of certain congressional districts and into others. Um, You know, 
think a lot about sort of the metropolitan areas, Oklahoma City and Tulsa. Um, my guess would be that in the past decade, Oklahoma City and Tulsa have gotten bigger and gained population, whereas some of the rural areas have lost population. So they'll have to account for all that. Um, they have these They have redistricting committees, both in the House and the Senate, and they'll have meetings to discuss the redistricting process as we go through the session. Um, But, you know, some of the more detailed map drawing won't really get started um, until the springtime. Um, The chambers have software to sort of draw maps for them, and then they can make tweaks as needed. Um, Anyways, by the end of session, the House and the Senate will have to approve maps. And of course, they draw, you know, legislative districts as well as congressional districts. So they sign off on the maps and then they go to the governor and then the governor will have to sign off on them. And in the event that, you know, something there's some sort of challenge or something goes wonky, you know, in some instances in Oklahoma's past, you know, some of these maps have ended up in legal challenges and in front of the courts. Um, But you know, hopefully that doesn't happen. You're hoping for a, a short session. <laughs> yes, uh, it's going to be a heck of a session. So if they could, you know, shave off a week or two here and there, I'd be okay with it. We would be remiss if we didn't ask about COVID. We've already seen Democrats file bills for a statewide mask mandate, but Republicans obviously have a supermajority in the House and Senate. What interest, if any, is there from the majority to implement more COVID measures than what's in place so far? Yeah, um, that's a great question. There are a ton of COVID-related bills that have been filed. You mentioned sort of the Democratic legislation on uh, implementing a statewide mask mandate. I 100% expect that will go nowhere. Um, And what we've seen from sort of the Republican side of the aisle is we've seen a lot of bills where the Republican lawmakers are basically saying, even in a pandemic, we don't want the government to infringe on X, Y, and Z rights. So there's been some bills about, you know, you can't close down churches under any circumstances. And then there's been a couple bills from Republican lawmakers saying that uh, localities or even the state could not implement any sort of mask mandates, could not require people to get immunized. I've seen a couple bills from Republicans that um, would prevent employers from requiring immunizations, which I think is going to hit some uh, some speed bumps along the way because, you know, it doesn't specifically say COVID-19 immunizations, which a lot of health professionals have said, you know, most employers can't mandate right now because they were approved during the speedy, you know, emergency use authorization process. But there are a lot of hospitals, there are a lot of healthcare facilities that require, say, you know, their nurses, their doctors to get a flu shot. And so some of those bills didn't really take that into account. Um, You know, I saw a bill yesterday from House Minority Leader Emily Virgin about, you know, um, trying to help out essential workers. And if if the state, for example, were to get another batch of CARES Act dollars, uh, a portion of that would have to be allocated to essential workers. I don't really see that going anywhere. I, I, you know, and frankly, the appetite for, you know, Governor Kevin Stitt to impose a statewide mask mandate or to limit businesses or churches or things like that, it's just not there. And so even if a, a, 
bill happened to make it through the legislative process on a fluke, you know, he's probably not going to sign anything like that. Now let's talk about the financial effect of the pandemic. Last year, uh, uh, with the uh, emergence of the virus and the ensuing lockdowns, it caused a major budget shortfall. Uh, Are lawmakers going to be struggling with the deficit again this session? So... Last year, most state agencies were cut by 4% because lawmakers were essentially making up for a budget shortfall. They also took a ton of like one-time funds, you know, um, whether, whether it was like roads funding or things like that, and they sort of diverted it from their intended purpose to fill budget holes um, where, you know, like a state agency needed more money or in, and most state agencies were still cut. They were just, you know, filling a little bit of those budget holes. Um, so this year, uh, state budget chairmen have basically said, you know, we'll be lucky if we have a flat budget. And it sounds like Governor Kevin Stitt is, um, you know, so he, what he does is he presents an executive budget to the legislature. And then over the next four months, they'll sort of go back and forth on, okay, well, we want this, but we don't want this. And they'll they'll negotiate on the budget. And so Stitt has basically said, you know, I'm anticipating for a flat budget. So that means um, no more cuts to state agencies, but it's not like the state agencies are going to rebound immediately. So the, you know, they were cut 4% in the current year's budget. And so to remain flat, they'll essentially stay at that, you know, 4% cut that they've already sort of built into their budget. So is it safe to say that they are waiting for more federal aid to once again help fill in these gaps like last year? Sort of. I mean, they can't exactly use the federal coronavirus aid to just fill in budget gaps, but their hope is that, you know, um, Here's a good example. So if if you get a $600 stimulus check, you're bound to go spend some of that in the local economy, whether it's, you know, ordering food from X restaurant or you bought Christmas presents from your family from a local boutique. Um, And so then the state will earn some tax dollars off those purchases. And so there is an economic effect to stimulus dollars going out. And there is an economic effect to, let's say, you know, CARES Act dollars or stimulus funds that go to small businesses that helps keep them in business, that keeps more tax revenue coming into the state. So um, and Oklahoma's economy has you know, has been mostly open throughout the pandemic. So unlike, say, California, where they've had long shelter in place or, you know, shutdown orders, we've had a lot of our businesses open. And so I think that has helped some with um, unemployment rates and with tax revenue. Um, state lawmakers are also hopeful that, you know, uh, gas prices will continue to go up and that will only help the state's budget. The pandemic is front and center of public policy this year, not only in legislation, but also in the way lawmakers decide to conduct business, whether they'll be wearing masks uh, at the Capitol or whether they're going to meet virtually or in person. Is the legislature going to attempt business as usual this year? They are going to attempt some sort of business as usual. Um, So they are fully intending to, you know, be at the state Capitol from... February 1 until whenever they complete a budget, which is usually in redistricting, which is usually probably going to be the end of May. Here's the thing, though. Uh, 
we're going to see how well it works out. Um, state lawmakers are, in theory, supposed to wear masks in the Capitol as our visitors, as our lobbyists. Um, and that goes back to, you know, Governor Kevin Stitt. He signed an executive order saying that visitors to state buildings who can't socially distance must wear masks. Um, there's been a bit of a conflict, though, about whether that does apply to state lawmakers. Um when lawmakers went back to the Capitol for their, you know, organizational day earlier this month, a bunch of them weren't wearing masks, namely Republican lawmakers weren't wearing masks. And basically, you know, a, a spokesperson said, you know, oh, well, lawmakers aren't required to wear the masks, but visitors to the state Capitol are. Um, I expect we'll get some more details very soon about whether um, lobbyists will be allowed in the Capitol. Um, I would assume they're not going to kick the press out, but they might try <laughs> and uh, fail. Um, and whether the public will be allowed into the state capitol, because that's, you know, that's a big deal. As lawmakers are holding committee hearings and hearing potentially controversial bills or laws that could, you know, change Oklahoma's state statutes for years to come. I mean, Public input is a big part of that, and lobbyist input is a big part of that. And when you don't have that, um, at least somewhere in the process, whether it's you know not in person or it's through some sort of feedback system, you know, I think the legislation kind of suffers because it doesn't get vetted near as much as it should. And then you get some of these things that get passed, and and sometimes lawmakers don't even know what it does. Anyways, all that to say is, um, you know. Oklahoma is not the first state legislature that is going back in session this year. Um, Missouri lawmakers went back a few weeks ago, and they were back for about a week before a COVID outbreak happened. And, you know, early in the fall when House lawmakers had their swearing-in ceremony, uh, it was a couple days after that when, you know, the Tulsa World reported that, okay, at least two lawmakers, um, one of whom was at that ceremony, had COVID-19 and potentially maybe spread it to employees or other lawmakers. I know that, you know, I, I used to cover, when I started out, I used to cover the Virginia General Assembly. And it was very surprising to me uh, in December that one of the state senators that I used to cover, he was, he was 60 years old, he passed away after spending weeks in the hospital because he'd contracted COVID-19. And, um, you know, I don't think that he caught that because from the legislature because they weren't in session at the time, but he could have caught that from a constituent, a family member. And then, you know, had they been in session, he could have potentially spread that to other lawmakers. So all that to say, it's, it's going to be weird. Um, and don't really know what's going to happen. I should mention lawmakers were offered COVID-19 vaccines they were offered their first shots um, a couple weeks ago, and it, I can't tell you who, I don't know who got a shot and who didn't. I know that some lawmakers are just resistant to the COVID vaccines altogether. Some want to wait until the vaccines become more available to the public. Um, but in theory, if at least some portion of the state legislature gets vaccinated before session, that could reduce the chances of a COVID-19 outbreak at the Capitol, but I don't know. <laughs> if, if someone comes down with COVID 
at the Capitol, though, wouldn't uh, wouldn't they have to cancel session or or maybe just take a, a week or two off? That's that's what that's what we've seen in like you mentioned Missouri. I would assume that's very likely. Um, the legislative leaders are going to outline the COVID nineteen protocols for the press um, this week. So I don't know the details, but I mean that's that's pretty common practice that right if you have an outbreak if you have somebody who comes down with covid then you got to do the contact tracing which i don't know how well the state is still doing contact tracing and then you in theory send a bunch of people home for at least 10 days and and there is a a mechanism in the state uh, constitution uh, that says you cannot your session must be over by a certain date or else you have to call a, a special session Correct. It's like the last 5 p.m. on the last Friday in May, I believe. And, you know, there there has already been some talk that like, oh, well, what if we don't finish the redistricting maps uh, in time for the end of session? And they've talked about, you know, oh, well, we could call a special session for that. But essentially, the budget pretty much needs to be done by the end of the last Friday in May. Well, well let's let's dive a little bit deeper into that about the the. Um, how efficiently lawmakers can work together. Uh, last uh, year at the end of session, uh, the governor vetoed por- portions of the budget and the legislature had to override them. Um, then lawmakers sued the governor um, last year over some tribal compacts that he signed. He recently lost that case uh, from what I read. Can the governor and legislators find common ground again this year? You also forgot that legislators leaders sued him over holding a board of equalization meeting because the governor refused to call a meeting so the board could declare a revenue shortfall. So it it was a lot last year. Um, Yes, I do think that legislative leaders and the governor have sort of repaired their relationship. And what the governor told me earlier this week is that um, they're trying really hard to come up with this quote unquote people's agenda for Oklahoma. And so he basically said, you know, I don't want a legislative agenda for Governor Kevin Stitt. I don't want the Senate to have a legislative agenda. I don't want the House to have a legislative agenda. I want all of us to work together to come up with one legislative agenda for the people of Oklahoma. Um and, you know, it was actually kind of funny. I did ask him at the start of our interview, I was like, hey, are you, so are you going to veto the budget bills again this year? And he said, no, I'm really, I'm really not looking to do that. Um, but he did say, you know, I, I do reserve the right to veto any legislation. But it, it very much sounded like the tensions that happened at the end of session last year, which I think are partly attributable to communication difficulties in the time of COVID, um, it sounds like those relationships have mended a little bit. The governor's made more of an effort to, you know, meet with the speaker and the Senate pro tem more frequently and, uh, you know, sort of off the grounds of the Capitol, you know, get to know each other a little bit better. So I think that this session is going to be closer to what it was like his first year in office when um, legislative leaders got along a lot better. But who knows, you know, the wheels could come off halfway through and they could all be pissed at each other. I don't know. If I remember correctly, 
Wasn't it Mike Mozzie was um, the governor's kind of liaison between the governor's office and the legislature? Mike Mozzie resigned from the governor's office. Is it possible that, you know, with the new people around the governor, that that also could assist with that relationship being repaired? Not to allege that Mozzie was the reason for the tension, but just with new people in the House, you know, in, in the governor's office, does that make a difference? Oh, absolutely. Um, so after, well, I guess this was before Mike Maisie resigned, um, Stitt appointed uh, former Senate pro tem Brian Bingman to be his, um, I think at that time he was like a policy director and now he is um, secretary of state and also has will have a strong focus on communicating with the legislature on the governor's legislative priorities. So he will kind of play a Mike Maisie type role. And then, you know, Stitt has also hired a new budget director, or I think he he called her a chief financial officer for the state. Um, anyways, all that to say, Brian Bingman gets along very well with the legislature. The Senate loves him. Members of the House really like him. And I've heard, you know, umpteenth times from various lawmakers that I think that that will help bridge the gap between the governor's office and the legislature and just sort of make communication smoother, keep everybody on the same page. Gotcha. Well, Carmen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. It's about to be a very busy session for you. So we appreciate your time before everything gets kicked off. Yes. I will see you all again come June, maybe. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Carmen. Thanks for joining us this week. On a personal note, I'd like to thank Nuria for inviting me to host the podcast. We all miss Kayla already, and not just her talent and ferocity for storytelling. We know she has an amazing career ahead of her. And to our listeners, come back next Friday for another deep dive into the stories that affect your life. You can read these and more every day in the Oklahoman and at oklahoman.com. See you next week.